Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. I'm Simone White. I am the, <laughs> I am the Wednesday night curator and also the program director here at The Poetry Project. Um, I'm always really gratified to see such a nice audience, particularly for poets who are so wonderful so, um, and who have come from far away. So Juliana Spar and Myungmi Kim are here tonight, and thank you for being here to hear them. Um, let me begin to introduce these poets. Um, so Juliana Spar edits the book series Chain Links with Jenna Osman and the collectively funded subpress with 19 other people and commune editions with Joshua Clover and Jasper Burns. With David Book, she co-wrote Army, or she wrote Army of Lovers. She's edited with Stephanie Young, a megaphone, some enactments, some numbers, and some essays about the continued usefulness of crotchless pants and a machine gun feminism. With Joan Ritalik, Poetry and Pedagogy, The Challenge of the Contemporary, and with Claudia Rankin, American Women Poets in the 21st Century. Her most recent book is That Winter the Wolf Came from Commune Editions. It's on sale in the back. So that gives you a sense of the kind of work Juliana does. When I started thinking about introducing Juliana tonight, I was immediately flooded by a decade-long string of remembering how her projects, collaborations, and public intellectual relationships influenced my own thinking about what poetry was or could be and how poetry and relationship were related political and life practices. Chain was the first journal I read or saw that I admired as much more than a place to place work. It was explicitly not a place to put stuff. It was a location around which experiments gathered. It was, for an outsider, a way to understand what experimental writing was, what it was all about, how it was done, who did it. Chain was an open invitation to connect. So too, American Women Poets in the 21st Century, which Claudia Rankin told me to read when I wrote her a letter, <laughs> randomly, in like 1999 or something, where the same currency, editorial generosity, and sense of the gravity of the mission are in play. This is the new thing. This is where the action is. The action is not where you think it is. That is not action over there. What they are telling you is not action. I can't overstate the importance of receiving this message, the importance of the fact that it was sent. Juliana's poems seem to emerge from the wholeness of her commitment of bringing out the new work we have been waiting for. At once truculent, wary, guilty, inventive, confessional, and oblique in its objects, poetry like life. All day long, my white feminism do this and do that, she writes in my white feminism. Precise, ferocious, in full command of context. Please welcome Juliana Spar. Super happy to be here. I spent the last two days at university, so it's really nice to be here. Um, I'm going to read. I'm also I'm um, sick of reading from my book, so I'm going to read a new piece that's still very much in progress. Um, so you need to. I need to beg your forgiveness around it, and um, it's got. Um, I'm gonna, I need to do some setup on it. It's got like a long. It's got a number of like six pages prior that I that, that are missing. So I'm going to pick up in the middle, I'm going to drop a piece out of the middle, 
and I'm not going to get to the end in it. Um, <laughs> but um, it's a story about um, three people that go to a farm in a rural area to try to have a meeting to set up a, a kind of like anti-state, anti-capitalist summer camp um, that ends up failing. Um, and um, prior to this is this long description of the people in the meeting, and there's, there's these three kind of coalitions that have arrived together. Um, the team that the narrator's on, although I try not to use the word team, and then there's a team of other people that have come out of Occupy Wall Street, and then there's a team of the people that own this kind of well-intentioned farm for like, that's like a liberal kind of think tanky type farm um, that they've kind of like set up um, and opened up to kind of try to have this summer camp. Um, the, there's a, I've called people by um, fake social media names. So there's a figure called Occupy Wall Street that's not very well developed. But if you picture that person that you've been in meetings with that is like very handsome and, and deeply annoying and megalomaniacal, that's that person um, there. So if you can just forgive it that the description of him is slightly missing, I realized when I read the edits for this. The kitchen room is still warm and still steamy and still beautiful and the fire is still going at the end of the room. We join the now larger group of people at the fire. I stand near the fire, nervously warming my legs. This lets me be near everyone, and yet also I feel it lets me have a purpose, a reason for being near others. Around the stove is a circle of chairs, and in the chairs are men. There are 20 of us on this farm, 16 of us are men. The talk at this moment is lighthearted chatter about the police and prisons. Jokes are made about informants, and then serious stories are told about informants, and then stories about being arrested and who got arrested and when. The arrests are mentioned with pride. Occupy Rock and Roll mentions how he got arrested a few weeks ago doing some occupation, and how some members of the Oscar Grant family were there. When asked why the arrest happened, he is vague. Things went badly, he says, and everyone nods. And it's the same with the stories of the snitches. He had a wire, someone says. It was in the back of his pants. When he bent over, we saw his ass crack and the wire. Another person tells a story of how they knew this guy was a snitch and told him they knew he was a snitch, and yet he kept coming to the meetings and offering to buy everyone food. And so after the meetings, everyone would go off with a snitch to get food. We had our own special snitch, he said. And then he added, and we got fed all fall by the snitch, and everyone nodded as if they too had a snitch that could not be dodged, but also as a fringe benefit, provided much-needed sustenance. Eventually, our host arranged us in a circle on a series of folding chairs to talk about our plans for the weekend. Some ideas were thrown out into the circle. Occupy Wall Street mentioned the elections and how he wanted to occupy them. He wanted to start a campaign, he said. In fact, he already had started a write-in campaign in Colorado, and he had already had talks with the Tea Party, and they had decided together that everyone in the urban areas would write in Occupy candidates, and everyone in the rural areas would write in Tea Party candidates. He discussed this as having been influenced by a neo-fascist movement that was happening in Italy at the time. This was not the beginning of our awareness that we were in a meeting that was not going to work out, but it was a sign that things were worse than we had imagined. For we had arrived at this farm to plan what we thought was going to be an anti-state and anti-capitalist summer camp. There were several precepts that defined our summer camp beyond its anti-state and anti-capitalist intentions. One was that it would not be mentioned in social media. Another one was that it would have no campaigns associated with it. It would not be a camp for recruitment, but for theorizing and understanding. As Occupy Wall Street talked, I could feel Tantivy looking at me, and I imagined that he was looking at me with a sad look in his eyes, but I refused his eye contact and looked down instead. 
Then Buddha Army mentioned that he wanted Dharma sharing, and I saw Tantivi try to look at Julia with that same look, but Julia was looking instead at Bioregionalism Now, who mentioned that he was also involved in an attempt to write in candidates from Occupy across the Pacific Northwest bioregion. Occupy Rock and Roll says some things about how everyone was all loose. What I did not say when we went around the room and introduced ourselves was how I had arrived at this meeting. I had come here after a series of meetings were held to work on a vision of a summer camp for many months. A team that began fairly large with around 30 of us sitting in a room we had reserved at the Chicano Cultural Center that was still kicking, although probably it had seen better days. And in this room we had a number of vexed and complicated discussions about what we were and what sorts of separatisms made sense to us. And we had, as we discussed, ended up with two camps, a camp for all and a camp for women that might happen after the camp for all. During these discussions, I had taken my son and he sat on the floor and read books or drew on paper with markers that I carried in a large white bag that had an image of a skull in it. And then after those meetings, we became a smaller and smaller team, gradually moving to smaller rooms that were located farther back in the building until we were literally in the storage room, sitting among boxes filled with paper cups and straws and napkins. By that time, my partners had stopped coming to the planning meeting, so they took care of our son while I went. We had various fights along the way, but they were minor ones. The woman who argued strenuously for the all-women's camp had dropped out, and no one carried that ball forward. We were a fairly diverse group in terms of race, but our main worry was that too many white people would attend. We blamed this on the Pacific Northwest bioregion, the very same one that bioregionalism now was trying to election occupy. And we did a lot of work to try to make the call that we planned to distribute through our personal networks, but not announce on the internet, nor mention on social media inclusive enough that it might include some of the various small political affiliation groups that were parallel to us, but often organized around a certain specific race in a way we were not. I am not sure that many of us felt we got the language right, but we discussed it a lot. We were also fairly diverse in terms of class, although almost all of us had been to college, but we never talked about that. I was never able to figure out if that was just something so obvious we did not have to talk about it, or if we did not know how to talk about it. But someone that did not know our milieu might find this odd because the camp we were planning was all about class, or was one that was about the abolition of class, for it is one for anti-capital, anti-state thought. Often when I looked around the room at these meetings, I felt sympathy for us. I thought of us as a well-intentioned group of people who were on the right side of things, who had been a small part of a minor uprising that had failed, as they always do in our time, and were now shell-shocked and sad and torn apart by infighting, as is again usual after a mining uprising fails, who were trying to regroup and tend to emotional wounds by planning a summer camp for theorizing and not for organizing. And then at other times, I looked around the room and thought of us as a group of petty, mean-spirited people who were infighting instead of theorizing, instead of organizing. After the go-around, we turned to the agenda for tomorrow. There would be breakfast at 8.30, and then this would begin the discussion of shared intentions or not, and then there would be a hike. Occupy Wall Street was very insistent that there be a hike. He talked of how lovely the land was and how we needed to pay it respect, and he was right. It was lovely, rich with water and salmon and ferns and moss. And then a late lunch, and then a discussion of logistics, and then a break for dinner, and a last meeting that would create a to-do list. After this was settled, we got up to fix dinner. Silverware was arranged around a table. The folding chairs were moved from the circle around the fire to the table. And 20 identical plates of food were prepared. Tantivi and Julia and myself assembled the food on the plates and handed it out. Red and white wine was offered as a possibility. After we all sat down, Buddha Army was asked to give a prayer. He quoted Thich Nhat Hanh and mentioned that the fish had given his life for us and we had an obligation to live up to the expectations of this and not to disappoint the fish. And we all said thank you or cheers or something, and we began to eat. 
The conversation over dinner was lighthearted, some jokes about badgers, some talk about kittens. Then the plates were clean and Tantivian meted the dishes with, with Sarah and Julia helped Sarah to cut the apple pie and put a slice on each plate. Occupy Wall Street and Occupy Rock and Roll and Buddha Army and Bioregionalism Now chatted with each other while we worked. Occupy Wall Street was excitedly talking about his idea that the camp should build a full-scale model of Zuccotti Park and then have a war games component where some of us were the police and some of us were the people and we would practice strategy. And this caused him to laugh and remember various police incursions, but also the time the topless girls got pepper sprayed. The time that Occupy student loans got arrested because he hit another man with a board and after he got out of jail, he went straight to Zuccotti where he ate an entire pizza and then vomited on the sidewalk. And the young girl who had a seizure from the police lights and was rushed to some hospital. And there were several hours where no one could find her. After the pie, more dishes were cleared and washed and dried. And then we said our good nights and retired to our library. I'm not sure what I might say about our getting into our various sleeping bags. I had brought my son's sleeping bag because it was the newest and thus the most compact. I realized when I got into it that a stray cat had wandered into the never really closed library and peed on it. And then began the period in which I tried to remove the pee and wash the pee smell away and yet not soak the sleeping bag so much that I couldn't sleep in it. First I went and got some towels from the kitchen and I soaked up the pee. And then I got some soap from the bathroom and tried to rub this in the sleeping bag. And eventually I gave up the cleaning and decided to sleep with the sleeping bag on my legs and to keep the top half of my body out of it. The soap smelled like cucumber. The cat pee and the cucumber smell merged into something crisp and clean and pungent and acidic. And it was still fairly strong when I rested my back against the couch where Tantivy was in a sleeping bag reading and watched a movie on my iPad before I went to sleep. The movie was about Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table from the 1970s. The movie was in French. It began with some knights being stabbed and blood pouring out of their armor. Then the knights arrived back at Camelot without the grail and Lancelot and Guinevere had some tortured conversations about their love. They seemed to hold their passion in their hands. Or all the passion I saw was that at moments one of them put one hand on the top of the hand of the other, not palm to palm, but palm to back of hand, and they talked about God. The movie was mannered and yet violent in an absurd way. It had a moral code that was not my moral code. And it was the sort of movie that the guys who lived down the hall from me in college had liked. About 20 minutes into it, I fell asleep. I woke up at 4 a.m. The rains had stopped. I had to pee. I had been dreaming, and I had probably woken myself up from the dream. In my dream, you were taking photographs of me, and you asked me to show my ass, and I turned around and pulled down my skirt. Then I turned around again, and I know you wanted me to take off my shirt, so I took off my shirt. You took photos as I did this. You reached out and twisted my nipple sort of haphazardly as if you didn't care, as if you had no interest and just wanted to correct its inversion. I took my skirt off then, my hose, my shoes, my underwear, and then I noticed a woman who sat behind a desk in the room with us, and she pulled out a plastic speculum from a desk drawer and handed it to you. The plastic crinkled as you unwrapped it. The speculum was clear with a blue lock. You handed it to me, and I put it in my vagina and locked it, and you then took a photograph of the perfectly round hole my vagina made because of the speculum. And then you unlocked the speculum and pulled it out. You handed the woman at the desk the speculum and she threw it away. The dream mildly disturbed me and the fire was almost out so I got up. After I peed, I walked up the hill to the woodshed. There was a full moon that night. I could not see it because even though the rains had stopped, there was still a lot of cloud cover. But the moon was there behind the cloud cover and it was lighting up the sky into some magnificent. And I stood for a while on the side of the hill and I looked at the dark, 
but still light sky, and I thought about various things. I thought about the young lords, and I thought about the waterfall in the third volume of Capital, and I thought about the idea of Colorado going half to the Tea Party and half to Occupy, and I laughed to myself about it and said the word dads out loud. For some reason, I thought of all the dads in Colorado who would not want to vote right in either the Tea Party or Occupy and were likely to continue voting as they had. But why I called all the registered voters who tended to vote by party affiliation as voters of all genders tend to do by the term dads, I do not know. Then I pulled myself out of my thoughts and grabbed some wood. Someone was snoring at the wood pile. This confused me, and at first I thought it might be an animal, but then I realized that someone was sleeping in the loft above the woodshed. My grabbing of the wood did not wake whatever was asleep as the snoring continued undisturbed. I took the wood back to the library, and I put another piece on the fire, and I blew the fire back into life. And then I left it there to catch and decided to go, once again, for a walk because I was so awake. I walked down the gravel path that led eventually to the woods. I did not walk far. I just walked, and I looked at the moon and thought some more about dads. Eventually, I turned around and walked back to the library, noticed that the fire was going, blew on it a few more times, wrapped the sleeping bag around my legs, noticed how the cucumber and the cat bee combined in some specific and unnameable smell, and went back to sleep. I woke up when Tantivy's alarm went off, and then I went back to sleep, and I woke up again. Tantivy was gone. He'd gone to start the coffee and help with breakfast. And Julio was gone too, but he came back shortly into the room carrying his toothbrush, and I did the usual things one does upon waking. I stretched out my back, and I peed again, and I brushed my teeth, and then I went over to the kitchen room for some breakfast where I put some water on for tea, and then made myself some tea and ate some biscuits made by Sarah and with Sarah, and some eggs too. Before the meeting started, Occupy Wall Street began collecting everyone's cell phones. He had bought a plastic container with him, and he wanted to put all the cell phones in it and then to put it in the trunk of his car. I was used to the don't bring your cell phone to the meeting sort of meeting. I had been to meetings where one was told not to bring a cell phone, and if one did, it was turned off and put in some room other than the meeting room. The last time these meetings had happened, we had been planning to occupy a university cafe and give out free muffins in support of a demand that all the disciplinary actions by the university against our friends and those who had similar concerns of us and our friends be removed. We had a list of 17 people who had gotten suspended or kicked out or on, on academic probation at this time. This action, which I kept calling the muffin occupation, never happened because 20 of our friends and those with similar concerns of us got preemptively arrested two minutes into an anti-Columbus Day march the week before the muffin occupation was supposed to happen. They were charged with felonies and kept in jail for a week until, as usual, all the charges were dropped because literally nothing had happened to charge them with. But the arrest meant that we could not do the muffin occupation because we spent the weeks when we would have prepared the muffin occupation doing jail support, calling each other on the phone, and worrying who was taking care of the child or the couple who had both been arrested and who was sick and who needed bail and who might lose their job if they were in jail for a week and who was doing okay now that they had been moved to the general population, and also walking around various neighborhoods so as to remove posters that featured mugshots of various friends arrested and said things like, these are your neighbors, that someone had posted in the neighborhoods of those who were in jail. Because there was no cellular service at the farm and there was no Wi-Fi either, I left my phone, I had left my phone in the library, turned off and charging. And as Occupy Wall Street's car was parked right beside the library, and as a Tupperware is not a Faraday cage, it should have been fine. 
Although I have no idea what he was thinking that anyone listening to the meeting through our cell phones would learn, except that some people were planning a summer camp. And they probably already knew this if they wanted to know this, because Wall Street had already announced that this camp was going to happen on his website. And then when asked to take it down, because there was a general consensus that, that there should be no mention of the possible camp on, on the web, because everyone knew what happened if things were mentioned on social media, and it was never good, he had refused. Further, as we had all shown up with cell phones, if the cell phones were being monitored, then someone somewhere knew we were all there together, which as best I could figure out was what cell phones might be useful for. Because there are literally no laws against summer camps or summer camp planning, even anti-state and anti-capitalist summer camps. But Tantivy turned his over and Julio went to the library to get his cell phone. I said mine was in the library, did Occupy Wall Street really need it in the trunk of his car? And he said it would make him less nervous, so I went and got my cell phone. The meeting that morning was to be about vision and about shared assumptions. This meeting began with a go-around where everyone gave an overview or talked about the activities they might want to see happen at the camp. And then I'm skipping this really long, tedious, as tedious as the meeting itself, description of what was said, and also the description of the hike uh, <laughs> and the visit to the beavers. Um, when I got back from the hike, Tantibi said we had to meet, and Julio was already in the library. Our conversations in that library had so far been a bit paranoid and a bit spastic when they were not merely mundane. At some moments we were discussing our reading or our plans in a normal tone. I will now go see about a cup of tea, we might say. Because Julio was reading a book about Maoist groups in the 1970s and the new left. Before we went to bed last night, we had a long talk about communism and its relation to race in the US and made snide comments about the ahistorical misunderstandings of young things on Twitter who presumed that communism was a mainly white thing. And then immediately someone said, but it isn't just young things. That is just because Twitter has more young on it. But if discussing what was happening at the meeting at the farm, we tended to whisper. Someone was staying above the library. We could hear their footsteps sometimes, but we did not know who it was. And because the door to the library was never really closed, we never knew how far our voices carried out beyond it. We began by whispering about moments in the last meeting, the metaphor from Occupy Wall Street about how he wanted us to think of ourselves as generals bringing politics to the people, the joke that Steve made about the generals always getting shot in the back first, and then we talked about the badge system that Occupy Wall Street wanted as a series of rewards for those who had bothered to do the hard work of making the camp happen. A sort of kitchen bag he's, badge, he suggested, for the person who washed all the dishes. The exact opposite of our intention to have all the reproductive labor of the camp equally shared. And then about the state of Colorado. And then finally we talked about leaving. It was an obvious decision, although we were not consistent in deciding it. Two of us felt that it was a waste of time. One of us wanted to figure out some compromise. But those of us who felt we had to leave pointed out that there was no way to plan an anti-state summer camp that was also a summer camp for starting a campaign to occupy the vote. Plus, our friends would make fun of us for planning an anti-state summer camp that shared space with a summer camp for starting a campaign to occupy the vote, plus a million other reasons. Julio went then and got two of our hosts. And they listened to us and were generous with us, and they proposed some alternatives. But the alternatives more or less came down to having a summer camp about elections or no elections. Why not talk about our differences around elections, they proposed. And while their moderation made us feel small-minded and inflexible, we had no desire to work even more hours on a camp about elections, because we knew that none of our friends would come to a camp about elections. While we were whispering in the library, Occupy Wall Street had cornered Judy, one of the four other women on the porch. 
Judy was young with dark hair, and as middle-aged people tend to do when they encounter a smart young person, we treated her like something amazing and had said to each other at various moments how smart she was. As I left the library, I saw them sitting on the porch and went to join them. When I walked up, Occupy Wall Street was saying to her that he had run background checks on all of us, but he had not been able to run one on her because he did not know she was coming. He did not specify what sort of background check he had run, and after, I often wondered if background check was just his word for Google, or if he was meaning to imply that he had access to some sort of state database, or that he had used one of those for pay online services. That he had not been able to run a background check on her made him nervous, he said. And then he accused her of getting up at 4 a.m. and going first to the woodshed for some wood. And then after she took the wood back and lit the fire, he said, she had gone for a walk. And he suspected that when she went for a, the walk, she had gone to meet her informants. She was very confused by the discussion because she had, of course, not gone to get wood and not gone for a walk at 4 a.m. I had been the getter of wood who had gone for a walk, although there were no informants for me to meet. I was beginning to explain this when Bay Waters came over and said, leave her alone, and he and Occupy Wall Street had some words, and then the dinner bell rang, interrupting what had a fair chance of developing into a fight, and we all got in line. Well, in line, I confessed to Bay Waters that I was the one who had gone for a walk at 4 a.m., but I had, no report, I had reported to no informants. We laughed a bit about what I might have said if I had reported to any informants, how I might talk about the messenger structure for the summer camp with its whole hour for women and pine cones and poetry, and how I was confident that the camp would for sure end the state as we knew it. And then we joked about how despite all his research and background checking, wasn't it funny that Occupy Wall Street couldn't tell the few women at the farm apart? And I said I was secretly pleased to be confused with Judy, a smart woman in her early 20s, especially as everything about her, our individual presentation was different, so different that we were unlikely to be thought of as even claiming the same racial identity. But at the same time, there was in the joking a bit of sadness, as the story was further proof of how we had to leave. And I then told Bay Waters and Judy that we were leaving after dinner and why we were leaving and did they want to come with us because we could scrunch them into the car. But they decided to stay because they had driven to the farm with another person and, and did not want to leave him there alone. Then we sat down to dinner and ate and enjoyed it and the wine was good too and the room was still warm and cozy and the windows were fogged a little with condensation. But as the sun set, the hills got only more beautiful with their wisps of fog and we looked at them a lot during dinner. After dinner, one of the hosts who owned the farm said we had an announcement, and we said we had to go. It had been decided that I should say it, and I said it awkwardly. I said, we don't think we can do this, and I alluded a little to some of the things that had gone unsaid about the meetings in the storage room at the Chicano Social Center. And I said, I didn't want to enter into a grassroots, get out the vote campaign with libertarians. And I probably looked a little judgmental when I said it, because I sometimes wear dissociation as a shield. And then we got up, cleaned our plates, and said goodbye. We had already packed up the car before dinner. Occupy Wall Street said we were lame as we left, and then said we were lame snobs, and followed us out of the room, saying some things about us that I cannot remember and do not really matter. And we sort of shrugged our shoulders and said sorry, and got in the car and left. Tantivy drove, and Julio sat in the back. I rode shotgun. It was warm in the car and dry too, and we were fairly happy to be gone from the meeting and there in the car, warm and dry together, looking out at the light cold rain and not in the light cold rain. We were silent on the drive out. We had the usual few brief feelings of freedom that one feels from walking out of a day of meetings. Then finally someone said, that went worse than I thought it would and I thought it wasn't going to work. 
and someone else said some other things, and these things were about the usual confusion about what we had just done and the names we had just been called, names which we felt probably had some truth to them, even though we were also convinced it was impossible to stay in the room and plan a summer camp that was one half anti-state and anti-capitalist and one half a plan to occupy the elections as various states with the Tea Party as comrades. About an hour into the drive, our phones indicated that we were back on the grid and we began looking at our phones every few minutes to check our emails and our Facebook feeds and our Twitter feeds as we usually did. Even Tantivy, as he drove, did this, left hand on the wheel, the phone in his right, using his thumb to refresh his various feeds, glancing at the phone and back at the road and back at the phone again. Sometimes we just scrolled through the specific feeds that we had created by agreeing to follow or to friend others that we might know a little or want to know better or felt obligated to follow or friend because we had followed or they, because they had followed or friended us. And sometimes we checked the Twitter feeds of people who sometimes tweeted about one or the other of us but who we didn't follow because they were not our friends. But we checked these friends to see if there were tweets about us. And that we were doing this was a sign that we felt somewhat besieged by the world outside the car. We tended to do this when we felt bad. It did not take long for us to realize that two of us had received an email from 16 or so unnamed people that attacked five named people who were attending an international conference for attending an international conference. <laughs> the letter was long, about five single-space pages total. Each of the 16 people who were writing in protest had their anonymous say, and some of them had a lot to say. It would take some time to summarize the complaints that ranged from the typeface that one of the people attending the conference tended to use and graphic design that it usually did for free for various announcements to the racial composition of those attending. Julio read the email from the 16 unnamed people to the five named people allowed to us from his phone in a flat, calm computer voice. And we all made various sounds of sadness. And then I asked him to reread it in a more animated voice. This fight was not about us. We were not at the international conference. I myself was so out of it that I did not even know that a conference was happening, much less an international one, much less an international one that had paid for the airplane tickets of a few of us, but not all of us to attend. But still, that the fight was so near to us, it made us feel besieged. All of the five named people had been part of the meetings about the summer camp, and many of the unnamed people had too, and we had just left the summer camp planning meeting in the name of group solidarity with those who had met in the storage room for so many weeks. And once again, we had to confront that the room was not a real room, not in a mild way, but in an announce it loud and proud sort of way. And while we were still confident we had to leave the summer camp meeting, the letter also made us feel a little less confident about leaving, less confident that we had a people that we worked with and attempted to work out our differences with without resorting to open letters. After this, we sat there in silence. Julio continued scrolling through his feeds. The rain started up again, and I looked at it rather than at my feeds because I knew by now that the feeds were usually nothing but bad news, while the mountains to my left were nothing but good news. They had wisps of fog that would gather in various valleys, and all of it was a certain form of beautiful. Julio, though, was unable to stop cultivating the besieged feeling. He even said at that moment, let's go all into it, as he got on his phone and began to read through the various Twitter feeds of those who often tweeted about us in complaint. Two of us were poets, and poets prefer the Twitter to the anonymous open letters sent via email to air their annoyance. The summer camp meetings were against the social media call-out, 
I mean, they did it too, but they recognized social media as a complicated tool, one often monitored by the state, and so there was a certain constant vigilance that they called security culture, although it was never clear exactly what the boundaries were on security culture. And so Julia, knowing us well, in, well enough to know who was likely to have recently subtweeted about us, was one by one going through these feeds and then reading them out loud to us in the car in an increasingly odd auctioneer voice. Listen to this one, he would say, and then he would read it. The calmness of his voice, though, did not calm down the content because in both the email and the Twitter feeds, there were words that were written all in capitals. And so there's a lot of emotion that seeped out. In a misguided attempt to exercise the words in all caps, we made jokes about things that were said in the feeds. This is how the phrase dwarking came about, and also the phrase to do kill list. And for years to come, when we saw each other, we would continue to use these phrases to express our ennui about events that were to come. Now we're dorking, we said, when we were just doing. Or I've got this to-do kill list that is so long, when things were going bad, and sometimes wave our hands over our heads when we said this for some reason that I'm not sure any of us ever understood. There was no difference whether the information in the Twitter feeds and in the emails was about us in the specific, or specific enough that the subtweet was recognizably about us, to us, and a few other people, or was about those who were near to us, all brought on a series of emotions. The first emotion was shame. We kept the shame in the space below our clavicles and above our breasts. It sort of manifested there as a big gray rock that slowly twisted. The twisting from the rock brought on heat, and the heat would spread through our face and the back of our neck and then down the biceps of our arms, stopping at the elbows. But as the heat subsided, then we turned to make sure we understood it. So every so often, Tantivier or myself would ask Julia to reread things at moments so we could be sure we understood. And then I'm just going to end there. Thanks. Myung Mi Kim's books include Penury, Commons, Dura, The Bounty, and Under Flag, winner of the Multicultural Publishers Exchange Award of Merit. Her fellowships and honors include awards from the Fund for Poetry, the Jurassi Resident Artists Program, Gertrude Stein Awards in Innovative North American Poetry, and the State University of New York Chancellor's Award for Excellence in Scholarship and Creative Activity. Kim is a professor of English and director of the Poetics Program at the University of Buffalo. Makeshift submission, the place I'm from is no longer on any map. Juliana Spar writes in her introduction to the 2008 Nightboat reissue of Dura, the book, quote, keeps pushing at the immigrant's story, keeps insisting that its story is public business, one full not just of what one identifies with, but full of histories that shape the self, even histories that one has not been a direct participant in. This is a particularly adept treatment of how we might think of Myung's language project. The speed, or rather the refusal of speed, of her poetics is a pull upon the public's attention. Sounds and notations must be shaped by the mouth singly and heard with difficulty. The dis-ease of our English, all of our Englishes, cradled in the pacing of each poetic experiment. Effort to get to the said. Tremendous efforts of articulation and breath and daring. 
She is a master of exploring the absurdity and power of dwelling between symbolic certainties as in brain blossom, cinder isotope, hibiscus retina. Myung's careful attention with and to the aura of the sign has been deeply instructive to a generation of poets who have followed her as her students and her readers. We're indebted to her way of showing implication in the lives of others in language. Please welcome Myung Mi Kim. As by one's ears, stom, stam, the makeshift shelters direct proportion of drinking water to raw sewage. As Berlin, tarp, just a normal customer, no heavy accent at all. Minimum human subsistence experiment deemed not even worthy of destroying, kneeling on the ground, hastily dug ditches, syringes, hoarding, withholding, designed to starve the whole region into submission. The place I'm from is no longer on any map. The entire vertical profile from atmosphere to subsurface columns and processions of being in and affecting, I don't know what's the problems in that family, probably poorness. Seeing those 840 workers, they're just gone. Scene, quick pick. Scene, send home money every four months. Lookout post. Are these your names from? We are from, where are you from? Say this may speaking. To burn or expose to the threat of the sun. A person with a pigeon chest and protruding stomach. At the quarry, leaving the quarry, bringing hand tools. Approaching the river, the workmen are prisoners. A chariot is pulled by two servants. At the left, heads are counted and the booty is piled in front of clerks who are recording the details in a book and on a scroll. Thanks everyone for being here tonight. I wanted to um, start by reading a little bit from Penury uh, as a way to perhaps indicate the, the new work that I'm doing, which I will concentrate on tonight. Um, thanks to Poetry Project for all the wonderful work you do. Uh, 
for poetry. So let me continue reading a, a little bit more from Penury, and then you'll, you'll know when I segue into the other uh, current work. It'll be obvious. And I, I guess um, I should say, um, without too much commentary, and I'm, I'm sure you already can intuit that I'm reading this so that it becomes a way of understanding some of the um, foundational material that I've been working with for, for a, a very long time. But it's, it's funny, it's sort of like uh, every time you think you might be under the cusp of something else, it's the, it's the bedrock material that grabs you back and sort of reinitiates your engagement with the very things that uh, uh, have been consuming uh, for you. Uh, and I think many of you in the room uh, have writing projects of your own and know very much what I mean, that just when you think maybe something otherwise, but the otherwise gets already uh, imbricated by what has been happening and the kinds of things that uh, you've been paying attention to and, and consumed by and compelled by. Um, so I'm um, selecting passages from penury that I hope will help situate the reading from the new work, if that, that helps. Foundry, mill, warehouse, tannery, refinery, central clearing hall, infirmary, barracks, internment camp. auto plant, containment center, refugee camp. Perimeter onset playing crucial corridor, branch full tip time and plants scanned. Yes, sir, I do. Three of those were fixing it, no seeing them, elements buffer in that twitch Feel of limbs, there's no fixing it. Huddle, quadrant, counting, inhabitants, operative swath. Who is in there? Who's there? Blaring route will be returned as practicable as possible. Place in the nose a piece of blue paper. The hair is combed and parted in the middle. Any fallen hair is collected and put in a pouch with a spoon carved from a willow tree, place three spoonfuls of rice in the mouth, seven times bound with rope. In attendance on a person, don't lie, don't say retrievable, shipped each tagged and marked. They must be taught the language which they must use in transacting business with the people of this country. Radiant falcon scattering acacias. The recitation of acacias, a grove of riverbeds, residents of years repose, 
patience, aids such. A bank of wide hands, tender petition. Horizon slope, a hooped light. A fragrant sight beheld, beholds, wherein this further dwelt, abide, nestled close, civil bound. And, and now from civil bound. <laughs> snare calendar, not in the codices or chance. Charity kin, hair and lime burrowed. Platform of movable objects, arch of armament and charts, strongholds, skill, a link of people, sorted, size, strength, age, pledged to asunder. Humble rules for eyes and fingers, between uptake and sopping lungs, by arms and legs leashed, by the wallets of tongues. Apologue of knotted rope. Gun tote and landing strip, quarry wetted rend, antecedent shade erosions herald, dim reparation. Ob gross tradition, traduction. Fin and aspen grove, half foot welter wolf, debris architecture. It is declared that an interoceanic canal through the isthmus passes of the Western Hemisphere is a necessity for the present or prospective commerce of the world. 1870, it is declared that an interoceanic canal through isthmus passes of the Western Hemisphere is a necessity for the present or prospective commerce of the world. Circumpolar, 
rifles at the ready, next to stacks, next to sacks of ground corn being distributed. Speech minus sound, subvocal speech. Speech reflex inhibited in its motor part. Apologue of cloud bird. Hip to forearm ratio glottis and full stop. Tubular rasp staccato reprise of red clay or being carried the Mississippi and its massive runoff, the swordfish at the dam were behemoths more than the size of a child. Blood, a concentric harness. Pity doves, silicate, the great lakes, slit, silt, syllabaries. Furtive, low wattage. Markers, decimated forest bones. How a swallow of water is achieved. There is the bed, there is the mother. America alone has the ability to dominate some of the most inhospitable terrain for human habitation on the face of the earth. Chief Engineer, Panama Canal Construction, 1905. Work song for ablation. Portion closer to drowning, feral mission, supine leaf, distance between the pupils, proximal attempt, a slight list at the pivot. Fireflies in an uncircumscribed blast area. The capped mouth heard 
What is the progeny of renegade topos? Eradications, resourcefulness, speaking in a high prestige language. A place appears prolapsed, power grid intermittent, infrastructures frail. Except these water-swallowed villages, sugars, basins of mountains, eelskin, guild rope, wicksand. Stents throw off lathes that shake them, principally shelled open, shelled open. Cervical disc and wingnut, massive work sites, barbed conduit, a string of hornets. Fervid detail. Greenish violet tinges her lips, the mother. a flung injury, skiff, ferry, commissioned warcraft, the perfectly straight cut saplings in the truck bed. America's ability to dominate some of the most inhospitable terrain for human habitation on the face of the earth. Habitation, a freight car in a nameless territory. Ramshackle peony meridian bit in the mouth. Persons to appear, persons who made, Great Lakes stations, Port Washington, Wisconsin, 1930, 1981. Duluth, Minnesota, 1939, 1981. 
Michigan, 1922-1997. Lorraine, Ohio, 1933-1981. Untethered island, strange fetched offices, Brain blossom, pains rigging this congregation. Thank you. The Poetry Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org.